Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Messenger on C103. And a very good Friday morning to you as we welcome you along to the final one of the week. Another week rolls by John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls today. If there's anything you want to share with us, 1850 333 103. We've texts and WhatsApps up and running as well to 086 to 103 103 and I suppose for the majority of us our thoughts and prayers and good wishes and deepest thanks and gratitude is going to Dr Tony uh, Houlihan who has led the fight against COVID-19 in this country and we found out yesterday evening that he needs to step, step aside for very personal reasons he's stepping aside to care for his wife who is in the advanced stages of uh, cancer and she has now gone into palliative care and uh, he read out the statement at the end of the press briefing last night nobody could have predicted what he was going to do at the end of the press briefing and he really I think managed to contain his emotions I thought he was just so brave in the way he delivered the message that he needed to get across to people speaking about you know this personal heartache that he has been living with for um, for years at this stage now because his wife has been battling a very rare form of blood cancer and he spoke about his wife Emer, who by the way was also a, a doctor she's a public health doctor within the HSE and she was first diagnosed with cancer in uh, 2012 and while he was battling the spread of the virus. This is what we found out last night was going on in his own home. And he spoke last night and he said she's had a number of difficult years and was admitted to palliative care last Saturday. He said he would now devote his time to caring for his family and his two teenage uh, children, uh, Clodagh and Ronan. He said, as a husband and a father and a doctor, I'm conscious we've been through tough times in recent months and many families have been affected by the course of COVID-19, suffering pain and loss of loved ones. He hoped people would work together and take responsibility for their health while looking after family members and friends and those that we care for the most and that's where it ended before he handed over the baton to Dr Ronan Glim who will now take over as acting chief medical uh, officer it was just I think it left so many people 
gobsmacked. I mean, I was on social media, Twitter in particular last night, and it just lit up with tweet after tweet after tweet from people and everybody just having this outpouring of love and gratitude for Dr. Tony Houlihan. And and as well, I think, you know, absolute gratitude to him for what he's done and how he has got this country through the last four months. But also, I think we owe a deep debt of gratitude to his wife, Emer, and to his two children, Clodagh and Ronan, for allowing him to lead and guide us through the last four months. I know that the Artishik Michal Martin uh, spoke on behalf of the people of Ireland and thanked him for helping to guide the country through the COVID-19 emergency. Uh, Michal Martin said his work experience and briefings helped people to understand the gravity of the situation facing us while his calmness reassured us that if we followed the guidelines and the advice, we would overcome these great challenges uh, together. He said every home in Ireland has come to know Dr Tony Houlihan. His leadership during this pandemic has given us all confidence that the decisions being made are based on solid public health advice and as a country he said we owe him and his family a great deal of gratitude and then the new health minister Stephen Donnelly described him as a rock who has provided stability and calm and I think that was the one thing we'll always say about Dr Tony Houlihan. It was the calm way he delivered the message every evening and you know Leo Varadkar is right the whole country got to know Dr Tony Houlihan. We probably know uh, Dr Tony Houlihan now as well as, as we know any of our government ministers and we relied on him and we, we every night particularly when they I mean the seven day there was a press briefing remember every every day of the week for the first number of months and then I think probably in the last four weeks, am I right in saying that, that they reduced the press briefings to two days a week because they didn't need to get out as much information. But particularly when the figures started to fall, they decided to leave it to two uh, days a week. But he was there every single night and you waited for Dr Tony Houlihan to walk into the press briefings to give us the figures, how many people had passed uh, away. We said a silent prayer for those who had lost their lives to COVID-19 and we thought of their families and then we waited to see what was the number of new cases, what was the R uh, number and then, you know, and every night we held our breath hoping that it was going to be good news and then it started to be good news and night after night we were getting good news and it was all delivered in the same way, this wonderful calm, calmness about the man and yet we didn't know that when he packed up every evening from those press briefings he was going home to a wife who has obviously has been putting up a very brave fight against cancer if she's had this cancer since 2012 trying to support her and trying to support his two children you know and then it's got to the stage where the end obviously is very close uh, for his wife so he now is now is the time for him to step back and say my family uh, come first and we just sent him lots of love and positivity and we will keep him and his wife and the children uh, in our thoughts and uh, prayers and we wish them uh, nothing but um I, I, I don't know what you can wish anyone at a time when a loved one is going into uh, palliative care but just you hope that they will be able to make peace and have peace and that they will be able to make some kind of memories in these last few days and memories that for the children uh, will last uh, a lifetime so we we won't be forgetting about Tony, Dr Tony Houlihan that's uh, for sure and uh, already a really good WhatsApp in saying hi Patricia the whole country was reeling from shock after Dr Tony Houlihan ended his press 
briefing last night with the statement that uh, that he did, telling us all he was stepping aside from his role as his wife was receiving palliative care. A true gentleman that everyone in the country looked up to. Cool, calm, determined, ever so reassuring. He never deviated from the same message throughout. Dr. Toulahan guided this country through the COVID-19 emergency. He saved many thousands of live, lives through his steadfast dedication to his work. The country owes him a massive debt of gratitude. He was the right man in the right place at the right time. How true is that? To those of us who were unaware of his situation, it makes his dedication all the more impressive. Um, That is without fear of contradiction. Dr Tony Hulhan is a true patriot today and every other day. The thoughts and the prayers of this country are with him, his wife and his family at this very difficult uh, time. But I think that line, he was the right man in the right place at the uh, right time. Anyway, your thoughts uh, welcomed on uh, and if you want to uh, add your words of gratitude to Dr Tony Houlihan uh, feel free to contact us 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking calls so you can text or WhatsApp 086 at 2 103 103 and of course before that he made that statement Dr Tony, Tony Houlihan delivered his, norm, his normal press briefing and one of the main things that was uh, spoken about was this the green list of European countries with uh, low levels of COVID-19 where tourists from, our, from Ireland can travel without restrictions. We still, it still hasn't been published. It's still looking like it's going to be the 9th of July, which is Thursday of next week. But Dr Tony Houlihan again warning last night that travelling abroad uh, remains a major concern. And he said that the green list that will involve quarantine-free travel they're still waiting to finalise it, but the advice is remaining not to go abroad for non-essential travel. Uh, he said people can decide for themselves whether to take a calculated risk and the list of countries is set to change week on week. The situation was a revolving one and the government, he said, will figure out the guidance needed. He said we see travel-related cases making up an increasing number of cases. From a public health point of view, the only responsible thing we can do is express caution. And earlier, uh, Professor Philip Nolan, he's with Maynooth University, he said the COVID-19 spread, it remains low and the situation is remaining stable. But a slight worry is the reproductive number is now estimated to be closer to one than it has been in recent weeks. Now that, that our number is easily influenced, he said, by small changes to the transmission of the virus. But he said we have noticed an increase in the number of cases towards the end of last week and it's a, a trend, obviously, that Neffert is going to continue to watch uh, closely. There is also a remaining concern about the increase in the number of people who are going abroad and then who are coming back testing positive. Now the numbers are still in the low teens and that's where they've been in the past week but that's a marked upturn to what it has been. There had been a case that for many, many weeks we were getting no cases linked to travel and suddenly now, right across this week, um, every day there has been a, a number of cases linked to travel. There's also of course a higher proportion of younger people testing uh, positive. So really now we're back again to something that certainly Dr Tony Houlihan has been uh, on about and we've been mentioning constantly on on this programme. It's now more than ever, it's everybody's individual choice. We all have choices to make. Every one of us you risk assess whatever environment you're going into. You make the appropriate decisions about where you'll go, 
who you'll meet and what you're going to do. You look at your own safety and obviously the safety of those uh, around you. And then yesterday I heard uh, Dr. You know Dr. Mike Ryan. He's the he's from originally from Sligo and he's with the World Health Organization. He's their executive director of the World Health Organization's health emergency programs. He's done incredible work on Ebola outbreaks uh, around the world. And when they do their press briefings, the way Dr. Hulaham became sort of our our hero at our press briefings. I think Dr. Mike Ryan is one of those guys that whenever he speaks at a press briefing for the World Health Organization, you really need to stop and listen uh, listen to him. And yesterday he started speaking about, about that, about personal responsibilities, about all of us. We can all give out about, oh, there's gangs of young people hanging around and I went into a shop and there was too many people and nobody was social distancing. And it really is individual choices. If we want to protect ourselves from COVID-19, then individual choices uh, come into it. And I heard Dr. Mike Ryan yesterday uh, speaking at the World Health Organization press briefing. Just take a listen. This is a guy who's worth listening to. Every person needs to look at your own risk. Uh, You need to be aware of what is the local transmission. You need to know what the transmission in my area is. We do this every day of our lives as human beings. We manage risk. We decide when we cross the road. We decide when we fly. We decide when we have an operation or not have an operation. What we need is the information to make those risk-based decisions. We need to gain the knowledge to be able to make good decisions. We decide on our proximity to other individuals. We decide on the intensity of our social engagement. We decide how long we spend in that environment. We can be advised by government. We can be advised by science. But in the end, this comes down to personal motivation and personal choice. But in the end, it comes down to individuals and it comes down to communities. If it doesn't feel safe, it isn't safe for you. If it doesn't feel safe, it isn't safe for you. Very wise words from a very wise man. That's uh, Dr. Mike Ryan of the World Health Organization. Some of your thoughts coming in on uh, Dr. Tony Houlihan. The best way we can honour the Trojan work carried out by Dr. Tony Houlihan is to follow his consistent advice and stay at home says a texter Mary in Glam where it says Morning Patricia what a man Dr Tony Hulian is he must have been under so much pressure he's a great man keeping us all updated my best wishes to him and his wife and to his uh, children and uh, to thank him and for God to give them strength on the journey that they're now on uh, thank you Tony and that's from Mary in Kilworth thank you for that uh, Mary uh, Timmy in Donwell, an exceptional man in fairness to him and after what he has done and hearing calls to your show about Americans travelling to Kerry from America surely now we need to respect the man that the man that Tony is and try to limit travel from the north to the south at this stage we need to restrict travel as much as we can restrict the movement of people uh, Tony says Colm has come under a lot of pressure for a long time I wonder uh, says Colm with that man uh, Declan Corbett who was critical of Tony Houlihan on your programme uh, I wonder would he come back on and apologise says uh, Colm and Pat in from Oise says the only word I can add to what Patricia said about Tony is Amen. And taking a look, by the way, on Twitter, 
there's a there's a hashtag trending uh, called uh, hashtag thank you Tony and there's some lovely comments going up uh, some from people we know like Jonathan Healy says you took the weight of us all on your shoulders when you already had a burden on your own the nation sends nothing but good wishes to you and your family uh, Bibi Baskin says on Twitter it seems so unfair in the general scheme of things Dr Tony Houlihan what a steady selfless human being to whom we will always owe uh, so much and uh, Lucy says is it just me that feels so sad that Tony Houlihan has lost so much time with his wife while steering Ireland through Covid-19 if that isn't a wake up call to people considering a foreign holiday well I give up uh, says uh, Lucy and Kasia says one of those moments when you realise how deeply unfair life can be and uh, for many reasons we all have to say thank you Dr Tony uh, Houlihan and then listen to this this was a letter that Dr. Tony Houlihan, and he's it signed, it's typed, but he, he has it signed, that he sent out to a young girl. I don't know what age the girl is, but she's a, a little girl who wrote to Tony Houlihan in the middle of all of the lockdown. And uh, she wrote to him from Dublin. And he took time in the midst of everything else that was going on to right back to her and uh, he says Dear Linda I was very happy to get your lovely letter thank you for writing to me I'm very glad you're washing your hands and doing social distancing that's the best way to make the virus go away I like gardening though I don't get a lot of time now to do any of it so I'm glad to hear that you're busy in your garden sunflowers she obviously little girl wrote about planting sunflowers sunflowers go really big and have lots of seeds so there's lots to send to people so thank you for sharing some with me you cheered me up. Oh, she obviously sent some seeds in the post. Look after yourself and mind your brothers. Uh, I know you are the best big sister. Don't forget to do what Mammy and Daddy tells you and practice your drawing and your reading. And it's best wishes, Dr. Tony Houlihan, Chief Medical uh, Officer. And he sent it out on a headed paper from the Department of Health and hand signed. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that just that just sum up the man that he could take the time out to a little girl who writes to him sending sunflower seeds to try to cheer him up and a little girl who obviously so many children you ask any of the children they'll all be able to tell you who Dr Tony Houlihan is if you showed a picture I guarantee you children of all ages know who Dr Tony Houlihan is because they've watched him every night on the TV along with the mammies and the daddies 1850 John Paul and Sadie taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Coping with the loss of a much-loved father is tough enough at any time, but then within two weeks to find out that the council wants you to leave the house you've called home is simply unbearable. And Natalie Riley Tobin joins me from y'all to share the nightmare that she is currently living through. Good morning to you, Natalie. Hello, how are you? I'm, I'm very good. And can I just start by saying deepest sympathies on, on the death of, of your wonderful dad who passed away sadly at the end of May. Um, had he been sick for, for a while, Natalie? Yeah, he, was, he got diagnosed um, nearly eight years ago with prostate cancer. And he was originally given two years, but he was some visor. He kept going till the very end. And initially your mum had been looking after him, but then she sadly passed away a number of years yeah, ago. Um, yeah, so she died, my, my mother is dead nearly six years now. Yeah, she's and, only 59 when she passed. Oh, goodness me. And then you took over as carer for your dad, especially in the last few years when he got the cancer diagnosis. 
yeah, yeah. So I would have been, yeah, um, here. Well, I was, I'd say about seven years. And then my mother was still here. So I was kind of in and out, you know, every day anyway. But then when my mother died, obviously I had to be here a lot more and more so the last maybe, maybe two years. Like that's when I, I moved back in home. Okay, so your your dad passes away at the end of May. When yeah. when and how did the council contact you to say that they want the house back? So it would have been about two and a half weeks after my dad's passed. Um, there was a knock on the door at eight o'clock in the morning, and there was people here. They want to change locks. <sighs> you get a knock on the door. Had I'm a, a letter? Did a letter come? Nothing, absolute. Because see, they said that. Obviously, they didn't know that anybody was living here. But as like as I'm saying, even if there was no one living here, we would still need a letter. Like all my dad's possessions in there, all my mother's stuff is still inside her. So how could you get everything out within two weeks? That's yeah, not, even, yeah. not even possible. Yeah, I know the point you're making that if, if this house was reverting back to the council, there yeah. has to be a period of time where the family is, is allowed to clear even, it. Yeah. yeah, just even give us a letter. Even like the lads that come down to send the locks now, obviously nothing to do with them they were just told to do a job but they had only actually gotten a text message they hadn't even gotten a phone call nothing just a text message just to go down change locks on the house and that was it What What if you hadn't been in the house that morning? That, yeah they would have been put in change and all, like all my stuff all my dad's stuff my mother's stuff everything the dog everything so they would have, and they would have, I mean, they, they, these people don't work for the council, they're employed by, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's not their fault. Um, no. So they would have just broken in, yeah. changed the locks, yeah. probably boarded up the house. Yeah, they? that's what they said, just to, yeah, to make. Make it safe and as they the, do. And saying that then the house would be boarded up, would be boarded up for a couple of years anyway. And no one inside here anyway, so. OK, just to try and dig a bit deeper into this story. The house, uh, this is a family home that your yep. family, is. It's, it's 40 years. 40 years, yeah. So all of your siblings were all raised, most Everyone of you were born into that house, yeah, yep. and, and raised in that house. So it, there's a council house initially in both your parents' names, I assume. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then when my mum died, it was my dad's. But my, so it's my brother Rory. So he's severely autistic and he's been looked after by Brothers of Charity and for mine. They're absolutely fantastic. Great. But he's down every week, he's down every four weeks for the weekend and he's down for Christmas and he's down for his birthday. And this is all that he knows. Like now, he obviously goes to my sister's house or whatever, but after an hour or two, he's getting agitated. He wants to go home. He wants to know this, these are his surroundings. Like That's so the only house. That's the that's only home he he's ever yeah. known. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So his name was actually Honest for years and years and years because my dad always wanted somewhere for him. You know, he always wanted something. That's all he ever wanted was just to make sure Rory was okay. And, sorry. And, um... I know, it's 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 very emotional. So, so, ta- so take your time. Um, and I'm very conscious and aware that, you know, you're still in the bereavement process. You're in the very early stages of the bereavement process. And obviously now you are Rory's next of kin. So... Yeah. This fight is for Rory as well. Yeah, that's like that. Yeah. He, I have to be his voice. He can't speak. He can't. And he can't do it, so who's going to do it for him if I don't? And Natalie, why was Rory's name taken off the rent book? Um, so they, in 2017, when they done the rent assessment, they wanted forms 
filled out by Rory as obviously you have to with whatever even though they were they knew of Rory's situation and they knew where he was and my dad said obviously he can't fill out forms so they actually took his name off in 2017 like my father didn't want obviously that and he couldn't get him back on and I actually I had sent forms off last summer and they never received them and now they're saying that I hadn't sent away even though um, we have someone now in contact with Revenue because Revenue stamped the form because obviously you get a form for the rent the rent assessment and they stamped that so at least that there's proof that I did send it away and the the council so you made the council aware I am back living full time at home with my dad because I'm his carer yeah I, I was down I went down to the the, council, the, t- the town hall in Yall and I asked I got forms and stuff filled out all the forms sent all the forms away and obviously, well, I know I probably should have made contact, but my dad started getting sicker in the last year and my mind is elsewhere as 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 it would. Like, I just didn't even think of that. So and they're then, saying that the forms didn't arrive. That's, yeah, that's yeah, what they're saying. Yeah. They, they, and I've been told by, even I dropped up a letter now um, because I was told by someone just to handwritten letter just to the, the kind of top man in the council, you know, mm. you might have some bit of... So I actually went up and I... I brought it up and thing, and I was said I want to hand this in whatever, and he said, "Oh, just put it into the plastic box in the side," and there was no lid on it or no nothing. So, like that just goes to. And show. did you when you filled in the initial forms and got them stamped by Revenue and did everything that you were asked to do? Did you post them or did you hand them in? Oh no, I posted. You them. posted them, okay? That's yeah. That's that's why I went up and I actually handed these I ones handed in, in to make sure. Then, yeah, yeah. But it wasn't even. I thought maybe I could put it in like a post thing or. But it was a pl- just a small job, like a plastic box, and he yeah. said, oh, just, just throw them in there. Okay, the the very simple solution. Can you not just refill in the forms and and get your? It's not that simple. It's it's like it, they're basically just going by the book. So it's like I wasn't on the thing. Rory was taken off, and basically we have no rights. But so. yet they the council know that this has been in the Riley household for forty years. Yeah. Yeah. They know of Rory's situation. Yeah. And even though he's in full time residential care, but he still needs to have a home yeah. to come yeah. back to. Yeah. yeah. And you have you, you and this is a, 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 a stupid question, but it's an obvious question I have to ask. Do you own another house? No, I don't. No, no. And you've Absolutely been living. Nothing I've, you've yeah, been living like, there. Uh, yeah, I would have been like I lived here for 20 years and then I was kind of with my boyfriend, with my now husband, and kind of stay in his house, and I stayed in my sister's house. But basically, I've all you know, I've been here all the time, like every like twenty four hours a day. I've been here for my dad. Anything that he needed, to the doctors, to the hospital, for his chemotherapy, anything. And that's now. So as I said, like I'm been punished because I was caring for my dad. And this is you. You you tried to do everything right. It's yeah. what you told them that you were living in in the house yeah. because the rent is based on the income coming into the house, isn't that? Isn't that the way it's yeah. done? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So you weren't hiding that fact. You told them, "Look, I'm here." No, I'm, but I'm, I have no. As I said, I have no problem. I don't want like I don't want people to be thinking that I'm trying to jump at you and trying to get a house. Like they were like, oh, "You're not on the the housing list." I goes, "But I don't want any other house. I just want to stay here. That's all I want to do. I'm not not like I was gone away and I came back." And now I'm just trying to jump into a house like that. That's not. And everybody who knows me, everyone around here knows that. Like, 
and everybody knows that you've been there as carer oh, every, for the last number of years. Even my neighbour, obviously my neighbours, but even people down the sound would know as like they know us as a family, like. Yeah, because I know that that has happened in other situations where somebody dies and then a family member jumps in and lets on that they've been there all the time and the no, councillor are able no, to prove no, that they're not. No. Whereas you're no. clearly able to prove you've been they living can, in this house. You literally, yeah. if any neighbour around here, if you go and ask them or anybody down the town or any anyone, they will know like. And there's no issue with rent arrears, nothing like that, Natalie? No, no, no. My dad, it was always paid up to... But like, we have no problem with paying rent. It's just that we don't know now because it was... My dad was paying, it was taken automatically out of his pension. So now we have no way to pay it. So I actually, um, I also sent up a postal order uh, to the council yesterday. I know they'll probably send it back, but I'm going to keep sending it up so that they know that we have no problem with paying rent. Yeah. It's your family home. the only home. thing that I can do. Yeah, that's like, how can you just pack up, like how, like all the memories, good, bad, everything. Yeah, and if you ask, you know when you live in a neighbourhood that long, I mean, I'm even thinking of the neighbourhood that I would have grown up in, I could list out every single house and who's, oh, you yeah. know, the Quigleys yeah. lived in that house, the Butlers lived yeah, in that house, the Stabertons. Like, and if people, it, yeah, your neighbours would like, say, that's the Riley's house. That's exactly, that's everyone, anyone that you meet, like they know the Riley's, they know 67 Black Rides, like that's our house. And even our neighbour next door, like she's fantastic, but she's, She's worries in case that we're gone as well. Like, and we've owned there. The, we're the only neighbours that she has had, and vice versa. Yeah, and anyone, anyone will tell you a good neighbour can be better at times than good family. I tell you that. Yeah. All right, you're in an awful uh, dilemma. So you're at least you're back on to revenue to get the proof that you yeah, did. You so did they, get that's the there anyway. Yeah, so they can't. They can't use that against me. And you reckon those forms went in when? That was last summer I sent them off. Last summer, okay. And yeah. when the council say, why didn't you get back onto us? I know. You were, your, line, your, your line is, I was caring for my father who was dying. Yeah, that's like, <sighs> if, if any of them have ever cared for someone, then they know that that's something like that is the least of their worries. Like okay. my, all my dad, even uh, like the week before that he, that he died, that's all he was worried about was Oh was God help him. God help him. You didn't, yeah. He, that was the last thing he needed to be worrying about in, in yeah. his final days and hours. And it's, he actually loved, he would actually be laughing now because he actually loved the one or three, like <laughs> the Irish music, especially on the Sunday. Well, nearly every day, the Sunday and the Thursday was always the, and it's actually on, still inside in his room now. So the dog is listening inside now. <laughs> ah, God. Ah, bless. Why is she on ah, the radio? Ah, bless. <laughs> Listen, we will get on to the council. I know they'll tell us that they don't deal with individual cases, yeah. but we'll, we'll still put a, a call through. And I know other members of other media are doing the same. Uh, once again, our deepest, deepest sympathies on the passing of, so of your dad. Uh, he seemed like a great guy, Natalie. Oh, he was just unbelievable. You'd never... Oh, Lord. Sorry. You'd never again see the likes. I know, I know. Just, we haven't, like, we have his ashes here, so we haven't even, we haven't even been able to, to bury him. Like, so I'm like, if we have to go to, to Mayo, he was from Mayo originally, he was from Belmullet, and we want to put half his ashes down with his parents, but now I don't even know if I'll be able to go because they could come in and just you're, change locks. You're afraid to leave the house? Yeah, so, like, they just have no, they have no sympathy, no nothing. It, it, you know, it sounds like a case of red tape and bureaucracy gone mad. Yeah, you know, it, it's the computer says no, and that's it. That's, you know, that's like it's just as I said, it's just robots working up there. The if they were living this, like it's just, just like a, a nightmare. It's just every single day. You don't know if there's a letter going to come. If there's 
Where's the compassion and the humanity in, yeah. in all of this? We'll stay in contact with you, uh, Natalie. You look after Thanks yourself, OK? Much. Thanks a million. Mind yourself. God bless. Thank God bless. You. Bye-bye. Bye. Natalie riley Tobin there uh, joining us from Yall in a dreadful, dreadful situation. And I don't know, have others uh, been in a similar situation to this where a person passes away in family in the family home for 40 years it's the only house they know their home where they all uh, grew up I, I don't know uh, what can be done because I know the council will be quite pedantic about this saying these are the rules these are the regulations her name wasn't there we, they're going to claim they didn't get their claim and they didn't get the forms Natalie's claiming she's uh, sent them and the argument will go back and forth on this. and I know before anyone jumps in and says there's a waiting list for council houses and there will be a lot of people in the all area uh, waiting to get into a house but it's almost like this house this family home has been taken out from under them it just just doesn't it doesn't sit well with me uh, for sure 1850-333-103 John Paul Sadie taking your calls Court today on C103 text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086-2103-103 now have we, as we've spoken about on the programme before a local group in Mitchellstown have taken over the old St George's Church with the dream of turning it into an arts and heritage centre which is a really really ambitious project well the plans have taken a major step forward with the allocating of some grants this week and to update us on the project I'm joined by local historian Bill Power and one of the main powerhouses behind this initiative Good morning to you Bill Good morning Patricia See the clever you're, use you're, of words there power, yeah, powerhouse You're using your puns this morning <laughs> <laughs> Now remind us of the plans not, not just for the old uh, church I mean you really have taken this a step for, further You want an area of Mitchellstown that you would hope to turn it into a Georgian quarter that's right. Um, last week, the whole project that we started in St. George's over a year ago really leaped into a whole different dimension. Um, and it's something that's been worked on very quietly really since last January. Um, the Cork County Council received a grant from the Department of Rural Development, as it was then. It's changed in the days since. Essentially, to, uh, a grant of 200 7,000 euros from the department, which the county council will match fund to the tune of something like 90,000, bringing the total to 360,000. And this is to create a Georgian cultural quarter in Mitchellstown, extending from St. George's Arts and Heritage Centre, the former structure you, you mentioned, um, down to King Square, Kingston College, and the street in between, which is quite one of the longest streets in Mitchellstown. Um, and this will involve um, enhancing the streetscape. Um, putting things like wires underground, changing all the lighting there to make it much more attractive and appealing, putting things like proper lighting into King Square. These are the things being talked about, making a much more attractive area so that the Georgian Quarter in Mitchellstown will then be developed as a tourism product. Brilliant. Be linked in with Mallow Castle and Donwell Park and Ansgrove Gardens. And I have to say the County Council has been absolutely superb with this. The, the they um, looked to meet me in January and meet one or two people in St. George's and um, the whole thing took off from there because I was put into it really to advise them on the, the historical dimensions of it and what the potential was in terms of that whole area, you know. So it's, it's And really will there something. be more funding into the future, do you believe? Yeah, the, the way this um, grant has been working, you know, the, the government's now gone, um, obviously with a new one in place, so there was a fund of one in Europe to do this. It looks like the new government is intent on trying to keep that money set aside. 
Right. Naturally, over a five-year period. But the, the principle of it is that you need to get the first bit, which we've now got in Mitchellstown, to qualify for the bigger sums. This phase of the development, really, is to start making the plans and start getting out of the ground. Okay, here's the potential, here's what you can do. And then the plans and drawings and schemes that they do with these things are devised. That then goes back to the department in December of this year because the, the closing date for that has already been announced. And next year, the minimum funding available, again, subject to approval and all this kind of stuff, the minimum funding available next year when the physical work goes on the ground will be half a million. Now, I'm, I'm aware that there were grants this year um, that fell into that category that they got in excess of a million. Brilliant. So the commitment to regenerate town the size of the town and smaller and get the economies going again and in community life to the fore in these places. That's it, It's a great concept, I have to say. Yeah, it is. It is. And I mean, and this is something that could could and will put Mitchellstown on the tourism map. Yes. I mean, we, we found almost the first day that we opened St. George's, every time the doors were open there, this is when we were doing work. Cars were stopping. The people who had been passing through Mitchellstown for years um, in in... For example, in the first, I think, six weeks, I worked out that we had 17 different nationalities coming into the building simply because the door was open. Yeah, what's going on here? Yeah. What's yeah. going on? And, and how has the work on the physical building, how has that been going? Well, last year, I suppose, all things put together, we probably spent somewhere in the region of €70,000 last year, which is thanks to the people of Mitchellstown who made very generous donations to us and also thanks to Cork County Council, who have been very helpful with grants and other support. Um, and of course, then a month ago, uh, you know, I got up one morning trying to figure out how we're going to get this thing going. We were at a standstill. Um, got, a, got a message on the phone, and I'm kind of going, why am I being congratulated? What's this about? Went into the Department of Arts Heritage and the Gaeltax website to see that €116,000 been in a case to put a new roof on St. George's and I can tell you we went from a total standstill to something like warp speed 10 on Star Trek <laughs> in the days that followed because we're, we're completely immersed now in a whole redevelopment um, And the, ro- the roof in, in any old building like particularly an old church it's probably the first thing you need to do is get the roof sorted because that secures the building yeah. uh, That's been the big problem Okay, yes, of course, we have other problems up there, but until you get the roof right, yeah. Um, now, we have an issue in the steeple, which we tackle down the road, but, um, you know, when you're up there on, on a wet day and you're putting buckets out around the place, and we've had oh, up no. 24 or 30 buckets at a time around the whole building, that's just sold. Yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. And, um, look, I mean, the, the thing about something like St. George's is, yeah, taking on a headache, of course, but I've said from the very beginning that, the limit of St. George's is the limit of your imagination. The council, for example, I mean, there's a very strong and right, so a very strong focus on redeveloping King Square and Kingston College and George Street. But what we're adding to the mix is we've now got a building that can be used as a visitor centre. We can have a facility within the building, and, and this is part of what's been planned, that we will interpret the um, history of the area of the town and link that in to other towns and villages as part of this tourism development in North Cork. So it's very much in partnership with the County Council. Um, and Mary Hayes there and other people in the council have been, I know that this is getting tremendous backing from um, 
basically from the chief executive and the council, Tim Lucy, down through the various tiers at local level. And, you know, when the people at the top back the thing, you make progress. You do. I, I certainly you believe do. that. You know, you know and, it's, and it's all about as well, it's about preserving buildings and, a, and an area for the, for the future generations. That's, you know, that's a, a lot of it's to do with that. Look, I, I said in my Facebook page in, in the last few days that um, to a lot of people, heritage is a dirty word because they think heritage is about stopping you from doing things. The fact of the matter is we're doing stuff above in St. George's where we work with, you know, the rules and regulations that are there. If you work with the officials, they'll work with you. Yeah. But in order we have this idea that, oh, gee, I can't do that now because they'll stop me from changing the windows or they'll stop me from plastering the wall. You won't be stopped from doing that provided you do it the right way. Mm. Mm. And it's down to our own attitude. So Play ball. You, Play when, ball. Yeah, you know, okay. life. All right, listen, it's 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 terrific good news story. We'll we'll speak uh, again um to you no doubt. Uh, how's no Mitchell's town doing? You're coming out of lockdown slowly. How's it, how, how's very, the town? Very hard. Very hard. I've been talking to businesses around here. Some of them are very, very very hardly hit I know that applies everywhere. Uh what business said to me earlier this week that he was already reopened. Um his custom just isn't there. He feels it's too early. They're worried that the um, the COVID grants in terms of income support, that if they're pulled down the dates being talked about, and they're finished. And, and that's genuine. I mean, this isn't, you know, this is people talking to other people rather than trying to impress a politician. Uh, yeah. So it's very, uh, it's very hard now. I mean, I've seen Mitchell's on O'Cannon's Delicatessen and Prairie. They've all reopened and they've reshaped their businesses to make them successful. And they're the heart of Mitchellstown because the thing many of us miss is you can't go downtown and sit in somewhere and have a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone, mean, everyone spoke about that. Yeah. All um, right. And, know, and it's and I think that's reflected across so many of our uh, county towns. They're going to need those businesses. They're yeah. going to need support for much longer than August, which is what they're talking about. OK, I'm over on time, yeah. Bill. Uh, as always, we always run out of time. You look after yourself, stay safe you and we'll, and we'll talk again soon. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, local historian in Mitchellstown, Bill Pass. Some of your thoughts still coming in on uh, Dr. Tony Houlihan and what he announced uh, yesterday, stepping aside uh, just to give full attention to his wife who's gone into palliative care from uh, cancer and uh, his two teenage uh, children. Uh, my heart goes out to Dr. Tony Houlihan, says Margaret and the girls in Drumahan. Such a lovely man. So, so sorry to hear about his wife. God love her. Can we wish the best of luck to his poor family at this time and to say we will be praying for him and for them. And asks if people could light a candle in their homes for Dr. Tony, his wife and for the family. She said, we've just lit one here in our home. That's a lovely, lovely idea. And thank you for sharing that. Tom Inrath Gormick says, Dr. Tony Houlihan did a great job and the rest of the country should now listen to him about flying out of this country. Would everybody jump into a fire if the rest of the country jumped into a fire? Uh, We should be treating it the very same way with the uh, virus and all look after ourselves. A new market listener wants to wish the best wishes to Dr. Tony Houlihan. He is a legend. 
Well, Dave in Carrigaline says, Good day, uh, Patricia. I'd like to echo your comments about Dr. Tony Houlihan. He is like a good father to all of us. When he says to do something, you know it's the right thing to do. He has saved the country. I wish him peace at this very difficult time. Thank you. That's from Dave in Carrigaline. As I say, just some of the comments coming in, just wanting to send best wishes to Dr. Tony and his wife, Emer, and to the two children. 1850-333-103. OK, some commentary in um, Natalie, who joined us in the last hour, and she's in this bit of a real dilemma with the council. Her father sadly passed away at the end of May uh, she sent in the forms to put her name on the rent book. She's been living with him as his full-time carer for the last number of years. The council said they never received any of the correspondence that Natalie sent in. And then two weeks ago, Natalie woke to somebody knocking on the door at eight in the morning and she was faced with a company who'd been employed by the council to go and change the locks on her door. And now she's been told to vacate the property that she's not entitled to it. And she's obviously now in a great debacle at the moment with the uh, council. Uh, a listener said, just to let anybody know if you're posting anything to the council, you should register it uh, because Natalie's adamant and what she's got back on to revenue because revenue needed to stamp the correspondence that she sent in. So revenue should have some kind of a record of the stamp that they put on because that's what revenue do. They log everything. So hopefully revenue will be able to back her up to say, yes, I did send the forms into the council. The council are claiming they never uh, received it. But I do think that's a, a good way to go about it, to try and get the proof. And that's another thing that I have a tendency to always do if I'm sending anything, any way official off, if you can get a photocopy of it. And actually, it's even easier now with all of our smartphones and they've got cameras on and take a picture of anything like that that you send in just for fear that something some way goes missing. But somebody else who's worried that they're going to end up in a similar situation is Daniel in McCroom to say, hi, we've been trying to get on the rent book. We've been fighting now for nearly two years and we're still fighting the council over it. Between the council saying that letters got lost and then not replying, we don't know where we stand in regards to the home that we live in. Now, our mother is the sole tenant, but we are occupants. We also live in the house with her, but they're refusing to add us to the rent book. We've lived in the same house now for nearly 30 years we're up to date with the rent etc but we fear that the three of us these are obviously three children who are now adult children living in the house we're always fearful that we would become homeless in the future if God forbid God forbid something happened to our mum with the housing crisis we're terrified of being made uh, made homeless and that's from Daniel in McCroom. I would suggest, Daniel, maybe getting on to your local councillor and see if they can expediate it because, you know, you're living in the house with your mum for 30 years. I don't know if they'll put all three of you. I don't know if that happens with the council. If there's three adult children living in the house, can everybody go on to the rent book just to give security of tenure, particularly for people who have lived in what has only been the family home. People born into a house, lived all of their lives in their houses. I mean, that's what Natalie very much got across. They're 40 years. Her parents would have got married over 40 years ago, then moved into this house, raised their family. Many of Natalie's siblings, I think there was one sibling when they first moved into the house. So all the rest of their, her brothers and sisters born into that house. It's the only house that they know as their family home. 
uh, I, I just think that they, and I know there's rules and regulations and there's red tape and this is the way the council do things, but I do think there's got to be some flexibility and some some compassion, I think, shown. I mean, for somebody who's just buried her father, who she was full-time carer to, and then two weeks later to discover you're going to have the locks changed on your house and now you need to empty just all of the memories, everything that goes with a house that a family has lived in you know, a happy family home for 40 years, trying to clear that out is just, where would you even begin? And then where does she go? 1850 We are getting on to the council to see if we can get any update on the story for uh, Natalie. Uh, from my listener says, hi, wondering, does anybody know how can I dispose of two two-seater couches, please, in the Formoy uh, area. I know you certainly could bring it to a civic amenity site, but you'd need to have a track, you know, you need to have a car with a trailer to do that. Not everybody has access to that. You're really looking for a man with a van who disposes of rubbish, but can I say, be very careful about the man with a van who disposes of rubbish that you get. Make sure that it is somebody registered. Has anybody in the Formoy area used a reputable man with the van, somebody who will clear and dispose of rubbish who will take away two two-seater couches if you could let us know and we can pass on the details to this uh, for my listener please 1850 and on this stay on rubbish because this listener has Jill has contacted us say morning Patricia albeit a wet one and it is uh, bring back the sunshine oh I hear you Jill I hear you watching the news today about social distancing and all of that it got me thinking what plans are in place to recycle the massive amount of of plastic that we are creating due to COVID-19. Visors, screens, divisions, signage, etc. All in a world where we're trying to cut down on plastic use, as Alanis Morissette says, isn't it ironic, don't you think? And, and it is. And I know even the plastic gloves that a lot of people are wearing when they're out and about and some shops give out plastic gloves free of charge. We are certainly during the height of lockdown when people were out walking all the more and trying to get in their exercise there wasn't a day went by that we didn't get calls in from various areas saying the amount of plastic gloves people are not disposing of them properly people are not bringing them home with them and if people are you know wearing them in the supermarket as soon as they get out people were dumping them in the car parks of the supermarket or on country roads if you're walking any country roads you'd come across a lot of disposable gloves something we would never have seen before by way of uh, litter. But there is a lot of plastic associated with PPE gear. Uh, Jill is right. And I haven't, I certainly, does anybody know, is there any plan in place? We do have the Greens in government. Will they come up with some plan in place? We need to use and wear the PPE gear, but we also need to make sure that we're very sensible in the way that we get rid of it and the way that we dispose of it. And we don't want to add to the problem, the worldwide problem that we have with uh, plastic uh, waste. Thank you for sharing that with us, Jill, to 0862103103. And a listener has been on to say, Patricia, why is there no mass this weekend in Mallow when it is on everywhere else? And well, I'm picking up on this story from the front page of the Mallow Star today. 
and they're running with the front page story that says Saturday and Sunday mass to be closed to the public unless the 50 people rule is relaxed. And the article says masses in Mallow's two churches will not be open to the public on Saturday and Sunday unless the government relaxes the rules which at the moment restricts the number of people that you can have inside in a church to 50. It was Monsignor O'Brien who's the parish priest in Mallow speaking to the Mallow Star this week he said allowing people entry to St Mary's Church and the Church of the Resurrection now to people outside of the area they're two very large churches in uh, Mallow Uh, he said if they were to stick to the rules which is what the government is saying only 50 can go into the church he said it would inevitably result in people being turned away at the door as the weekend masses the weekday masses are already attracting upwards of 50 people the Monsignor said he had hoped last weekend that the government would relax the rule and allow more than 50 people into the church but it didn't come to pass. And he said there is hope he had is that it would, a breakthrough would happen this week. But unfortunately, a breakthrough hasn't happened this uh, week. Uh, and because of that, he has decided to take the decision that he won't open the churches on Saturday and Sunday. The weekday masses are going ahead 9.15 in the Church of the Resurrection and 10am in St Mary's in Mallow every weekday morning. And they've been welcoming parishioners since last Monday. Uh, but because the... The government have not come out and changed the rules on the numbers being allowed into the church. It means there will not be a week Sunday Mass uh, or the vigil Mass on a Saturday in uh, Mallow. uh, But people can still live stream them on their phones, their tablets and their laptops. And I know that the Archbishop of Dublin, Dermot Martin, he was out again this week calling on the government to relax the rules with regard to people attending masses in uh, Ireland uh, and talking about the size of the buildings and the churches are so big. They can, with social distancing, still keeping two metres apart, they can allow more than 50 people. But the guidelines say it has to be 50 people. And I thought it was interesting yesterday, the Catholic Archbishop Dermot Martin said what the government need to do here is we need to go down the same route as what they've done in Northern Ireland. What they've done in Northern Ireland is the numbers going into the church are based on the size of the church where here there's this blanket ban of only 50 people being uh, allowed. And he said, Archbishop Martin said it is working in churches but they are having some difficulty and that he admits himself that priests all over the country are concerned about what's going to happen next uh, Sunday and the 50 person limit according to Archbishop Martin will mean turning people away or asking them to remain outside and he said if you're asking them to remain outside the church then social distancing becomes problematic because who's going to police a large crowd that's gathered outside of a church trying to hear Mass. So it's going to be a problem, I think, in all churches next Sunday. And I imagine on Monday we'll end up talking about situations where people went along, best bib and tucker, got put on their Sunday best to go to Mass and they got to the church and they weren't allowed in. And I think that's going to be happening nationwide. So I suppose Monsignor O'Brien, rather than having that situation of having to turn the faithful away from Church on Sunday has decided, no, I'm not I'm not going to open on Sunday until the government change the rule. Now, unless something happens today, uh, we will wait and see. That unless there's some announcement this afternoon, but certainly up to me coming on air this morning, there was nothing coming out from government saying that they were going to relax the rule on 50 being allowed inside in a uh, church. So you can take it. Unless there is a decision to up that number, there will be no access to mass in Mallow Town 
this coming Sunday. 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. If there's anything you want to share with us, you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Carpenters and Carpentry Apprentice is wanted for Carpentry and Roofing Company. They're based in Cork City. While Chuck Ultra in Newmarket, they've got a vacancy for a health care assistance. You need to have QQI Level 5, please. Part-time dental receptionist required. That's a busy practice in the Canturk area. And a fuller part-time mechanic is wanted. It's for work in the Rathcormick area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. C103 satisfies your passion for sport every weekend. Rory Burke has your Saturday morning preview from 11. Then Mark Malone brings you Cork Sports Saturday from 2, including updates from the Premier League. Then Rory's back Sunday at 2 with interviews and great Cork action from our archives. He takes a shot, run up, he kicks, he scored it! Weekend Sport with Broston Boyle and Golden, where financial advisor Barry John Ryan will help with your life pensions and investments. See bbg.ie. When it comes to sport in Cork, only one station comes to mind. C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now, the government has restated that all non essential travel should be avoided as it finalises plans for travel overseas and foreign holidays. So, where does all of this leave those who've already booked and, in many cases, paid in full for holidays abroad this summer? Joining me once again with words of advice, Dermot Jewell of the Consumer Association of Ireland. Good morning to you, Dermot. Morning, Patricia. Um, and you, you are welcome. Now, if a person cancels a trip due to the advice from our chief medical officer not to travel, are they entitled to any kind of a refund or a voucher? No, they're not. Um, because the difficulty is that that's, that is just the advice of an officer. It's not a state government approved notification, um, which is what you would need. Um, to be able to cancel um, and be in, in expecting a, a refund, it's an it's it. He issued a plea. In fairness to the man, it was well intentioned and it's not wrong. Um, but the pro- bottom line, it has created phenomenal confusion and concern because it is advice and it's no more than that. But it comes from a man that we've, we hugely respect and have listened to, and have done what he said all along. And that's exactly it. I mean, he's. We we often you and I have discussed it before of what's a trusted source. Um, he has become a very much a trusted source. Um, over the last number of months, he's been every evening appearing in front of of people in their homes, and they they listen to what he says, and it's caused phenomenal problems. As I say, not 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 in a negative way. It, it was intended as good advice. Um, and that same advice is coming from government that they would prefer you not to travel. So, in all honesty, that, that's why the, the association, the Consumers Association, have been at the point in the last number of days where it was saying, look, of course it's good advice. It makes perfect sense because the, the difficulty and the risk for people, even when they come back, um, could could cause a problem. And that's that's the point that's being made. But if you're going to ask, let's use the word a citizen, to take that action 
and to, to take a decision to just waive a significant amount of money. In other words, say, okay, that's good advice. We've paid a thousand euro or we've paid two thousand euro. We're going to lose it. That's, that, that's asking way too much of an average individual who has saved, who's worked, who's paid taxes and now is being asked to waive a significant amount of money. There needs to be a compensation fund or something put in place to help them. Okay, your, does your travel insurance help you in any way? It may do, but um, it very much depends on what is provided in the travel insurance. And it's already, I think, in fairness, Patricia, being acknowledged that nobody really thought or saw this coming in any shape or form. And very few policies would have provided for it, except the very, very top of the range ones. And even some of those wouldn't. But the average consumer... At the beginning of this, Patricia, I'll be honest with you, I was quite astounded to learn that quite a lot of people didn't even bother taking travel insurance. Mm. Um, so, but in answer to your question, it may, but the likelihood apparently is quite low. Yeah. So if it's the go- so if if yeah. the government came out and said, we are now telling the citizens of Ireland not to travel. Yes. Abroad. Would that All then would mean, you, you, yeah, so then you'd get a, you'd get a full refund? Um, potentially you would, yeah, because you see, what, what usually would happen is you would have the Department of Foreign Affairs. They are the ones who would say, we are instructing Irish consumers not to travel to the following countries. And that's what they've done before. That's what they did at the beginning of this. And... What happened there was, and it, it, it's a situation that's still bubbling under, the airlines and a lot of the travel companies at that time, if, if we go back to March and the beginning of April, they, they very, in fairness to them, they said, look, what we're going to do then is um, we're, we're going to issue a voucher. We hope you'll take a voucher because refunds are going to be a different challenge. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll issue a voucher that you can use and reuse over either a year or a five-year period. Um, and if at the end of, for example, Ryanair said at the end of the year, if you don't use it, we'll then refund you and we'll have a bit more time to do it. So they were, and, and others that were put in place, for example, um, Aer Lingus were saying, look, if you take a voucher and, and re- either that or you reschedule your flight, we won't charge you for rescheduling the flight. You, you can just change the dates and away you'll go whenever it suits. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When all of this is over... But in the absence of that level of information and demand from the state, none, nobody's doing that. And the airlines are saying, well, hang on a minute, we're open for business. We've been waiting for this for months. We've lost a fortune and the flights are taking off and we're not cancelling any flights. So in the absence of that direction from the state, um, you, you're basically breaking your contract to put it in terribly nasty plain terms. But that, that's what a consumer would do. You don't travel that's your decision. We're not refunding it because it's not to do with us. The plane is taking off. And and we we are still awaiting. It's going like it was always the 9th of July, and it looks like it's going to be the 9th of July, which is uh, Thursday of next week, for when the 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 government will give the countries that they reckon are the safest ones to travel to, and where you won't need to self isolate. And then yes. obviously every other country on the list, you can still go. But you must self isolate for two weeks when you came when you come back. I mean, that's absolutely that's still not going to help. It's still not going to help. And and but there is one other glimmer of hope, and that is that um, there there have been meetings um, across Thursday, yesterday, more today, um, and into Monday. And Monday there will be some because this 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 situation that's being created, Patricia, is going to be discussed to see if there's some mechanism or some consideration that they can put in place on the basis that both ourselves and the I think it's the Irish Travel Agents Association have said you've got to do something, you've got to put a fund in place or something to facilitate people who want to do the right thing but don't want to lose a mountain of money. Um, so try to come up with some, some solution to it and we're hoping that they will come up. Um, I mean they're good people I, and, and this this is Again, it's been not anticipated, but it's putting some people in very, very deep, deep problems of taking the right decision at the wrong time, if mm. you know what I mean. Mm. What did you make of the chair of the Dáil uh, COVID-19 committee, um, Deputy Michael McNamara, suggesting vouchers for domestic holidays? Um, it's Yeah, we're, we're, we would support that. Um, it's just a matter of people sitting down and figuring out how to do it. Um, I think it's. I think any solution is is worth looking at. Anything except people losing all of their money. It's very unfair. It's asking a lot of people who've been through the mill already and have been looking forward to going away. We're going away, and now have been told we really would wish you wouldn't. Um, it's it, it's asking a lot. There needs to be some some consideration of some kind, whether it be a voucher, whether it be. Um, an engagement with with the airlines again to say, look, would you do us a favour? Would you would you try to see if you can allow changes without a cost? Because one of the key issues behind this, um, um, Patricia, is that 
there's a, there's a, there are a lot of people still waiting for vouchers, and they're going to get them quite soon, and they're going to try to rebook. Mm. And right now, from today forward, there simply is not neither enough time nor enough planes to take everybody to where they all want to go with their vouchers and their rebooking. So it needs to be pushed into next year anyway. Um, so it might help if that could be considered. Of course, it will still be down to the consumer at the end to decide I'm going or I'm not, um, or I don't want to wait for next year. They may not want to do that. So, but, you know, that's their decision. It's an individual um, choice. It very, very, very much is. And, and by the way, Dermot, for those that are travelling, and, and we we watched it on the, the all of the news bulletins were out at all of the airports uh, this week, and people yeah. are deciding to travel for, you know, some are going for holidays, some are going back to see families that they haven't seen in many, many years. But people, small numbers, I mean, we're yeah. at, at nothing what we would normally be at at this time of year. But if you do decide to go, um, you've taken out your travel in, in insurance. Do you need to read the small print, particularly regarding cover for COVID-19 when you're abroad? You do, because the fact that it's here, it, there's a strong likelihood that it won't be covered um, because nobody's going to take the risk. So you, you, again, may be in the situation where you say, I want to buy insurance to go, and they will say to you, well, that's fine, but that, that clause is not included in it. We are not covering the risk of COVID because the risk is too high. Or... If you want to take it, fine, but the policy will be an eye-wateringly expensive policy. Yeah, but read, please read the small print because you could end yeah. up in a in a very expensive situation uh, abroad. Right. And Dermot, the country is reopening and it's great and we're encouraging everyone to shop local and, and get out and about. Are you fearful of price gorging now that businesses have, have reopened? And are you hearing anything about businesses putting prices up? Um. Anecdotally, I've heard about hotels putting ridiculous prices up. I don't know if they're true or not, because I'll be honest with you, we haven't had the time um, or the, the resources to check that just yet. Um, are we fearful of price increases? Yes. Um, I mean, I made a simple point across all of this. I watched um, a, 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 your average sliced pan go from a price of between 150 to 220 depending on where you shopped, um, including locally. Um, and that was just one small example that we were seeing as this started to, to grow. Hopefully it doesn't take off because, in all honesty, nobody can afford that level of, of increase. But the, if it does spike, it'll show very quickly. Mm, um, and mm. the, the, it really will show very, very quickly. I'm hoping it doesn't happen because it's the last thing we need to happen. And in fairness to business, I don't think the vast majority want to increase prices. They will just do their best and be thrilled to see their customers yeah. come back and try to make it up. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I do think, I mean, costs of doing business obviously has increased with PPE gear and all of that. Yeah. And I think most people will expect to pay a little bit more and they don't mind paying a little bit more. But it's just when you think you've been taken, you're thinking this is a bit more way too expensive yeah. uh, but just on the, on the holiday well, shop around I say to people well, I mean everyone's quoting ridiculous hotel prices in Killarney but when you look into it they're all five star hotels there's lots of good staycation value but you just yeah. need to shop you need to put the time and the effort in and shop around you're entirely right this is it there are always options and as I say there are always good business people out there who are just 
keen to welcome you, keen to make it good, and want you to come back. Um, a lot of people, if they do, if if they can afford it, fine, they go whatever they want. But the, the reality is, business is about footfall, and it's about making people come back. And we've all learned that over years. And I, I think there's, there's, there's a great, I mean, I've listened even just on the news, there's some fantastic effort made by people to 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 really welcome people back. And it's great to see it, you know. Okay, a couple of uh, questions on flights. John says, I flights booked to Lanzarote for four of us, two adults, two children, uh, leaving tomorrow for a week with Ryanair, almost €2,000 paid last January. They emailed me yesterday to check in online. I've made no contact with them. We'll obviously, we're not going. We wouldn't risk it. Where do we stand? We do have uh, travel and insurance. John is one of the people, I suppose, were hoping that the flight was going to get cancelled. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's going ahead. And now it's going ahead and it will go ahead and there will be quite a number of people probably travelling on it because they can't afford to take that wonderful choice that, that, that he's just taken there for himself and his family. Um, and that's why we keep coming back to the reality that it's people like John who need to hear sometime early next week that um, if that there's something there to facilitate them that they will get some benefit back. Um, not from the airline, but something back from, as I say, a state-provided fund or compensation scheme that needs to be put in place. There's so many efforts being put in place for businesses, and and, and, and I'm not denying that they don't deserve it. But so too, so too do consumers. I've said it before, I honestly find that consumers are a weak link in the chain of priority. We're way down the end, and you have to fight and push and shout for everything to get get them something, you know, and this this is a unique time. People can't afford to lose 2,000 euro like that. Just can't. And uh, there's no name on this. Hi, Patricia. I have flights booked for the end of July out of Cork. I don't have the option of rescheduling the flights because the flights are not available after September. It's one of, I don't know where it's to, but it's one of the summer seasons. Tried to contact Ryanair, but I'm getting no joy. Um, it's very difficult, and they, they and I understand that because yesterday I was saying just how difficult it is to get in touch with the airlines. It's quite a problem. Um, the only thing I can suggest, if it, if it helps, is is to try to get in touch with the 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 um, the aviation regulatory authority and um, to see if they can offer some advice. But I, I I put my hand up in the air here and say I really don't think that you'll be getting much advice because it's there's nothing there to facilitate it just yet. Um, the, the the situation is that you're required to travel. It's not cancelled, so it's a huge dilemma. And no matter who tries to argue on on your behalf, they're going to find it difficult to win or gain you anything. And um, but what I would do, rather than trying to ring the 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 Ryanair, is send them an email now, um, saying I've you've asked me to check in. I can't. I need to speak urgently with somebody and see if they can come back to you. But at yeah. least you have it. You have a proof that you sent the email saying, I don't want to, I'm afraid to travel. That you did try. Yeah, because yeah. They, seemingly there was a load of a load of no-shows uh, this week and none of the airlines are yeah. coming out g- giving the no-shows. And just, I don't know if you're, you're across this, because this is only broken in the last hour, that Ryanair are saying the majority of customers waiting for a refund um, uh, will have their cash by the end of the month. They say they've trained additional staff to help clear the backlog. March refunds have now all been processed and half of refunds due to customers in April are now being paid out and they're promising all of May and the majority of June will be cleared by month end. That's fantastic news and I saw an email yesterday from Aer Lingus saying pretty much the same that refunds will be cleared by the end of July at this month. So, there's Well I will let you know I'll let you know on the Aer Lingus I'm still waiting since April. <laughs> 
Well, so am I. Actually, I'm waiting since March. So you, did you get your? <laughs> I you, let you know as well. You you you're, you're in for vouchers, isn't it? Um, I was in for but, when I'm in for both. I'm oh, yeah. a refund. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. Well, fingers <laughs> crossed for both of us. We'll have a great night out when we get our money back. Great. Yeah. Listen, Dermot, pleasure as always. Thank you for that. And thanks thanks, thanks for joining us. Okay. Uh, bye-bye. That is uh, Dermot Jewell, uh, lovely guy and just a mine of information uh, with the Consumers Association of Ireland. 1850 333 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 Now, like so many other events. The South of Ireland Band Championships due to be held tomorrow, 4th of July, has unfortunately been cancelled in Clonakilty. but the organisers have decided to do something to give people their band music fix. And joining me with details, Ger O'Driscoll, who is chairman of the South of Ireland Band uh, Championships. Good morning to you, Ger. Good morning, Patricia. And Ger, normally we'd be having a chat about is everything ready and what's it going to be like tomorrow and what's the excitement like and people would have started to arrive in, in town uh, and a very different feel at uh, this year, unfortunately. How long have the championships been running in Clonakilty? They've been running 40 years uh, continuous, Patricia. My years. goodness. This would have been our 41st year. And had they very much grown over the years? Yes. Year on year, we have more bands from all over the world that would like to, like to take part from the UK, from America, Germany. Down through the years, we've had a, a mix, but predominantly there are Irish traditional bands from small towns up and down the country. And how many bands would you have expected for tomorrow? We would have had expected anywhere from 26 to 30 bands. Well. Wow. But we have actually 36 bands participating tomorrow. <laughs> virtually. <laughs> Virtu- virtually. Yes, virtually. And are they bands of all different shapes and sizes? They are. There's a mixture from your traditional brass band, which would be about 28 members, to your military band, which would consist of 44 members. That would be your brass military band makeup. And there is something incredibly magical about the sound of a of a band, I, 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 I can never put it into words what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the history of a brass band, believe it or not, Patricia, was and an organ in a church is the sound of a brass band going off. Because if you listen to an organ playing in a church, yeah. you have your soprano, alto, tenor and bass sounding in the pipes. And originally, going back to the Renaissance period, there was four musicians paid to play in the church, but someone came up with a clever idea to say... Let's invent one instrument and we'll pay one person. Oh, so that's very odd. Even, even back then they were doing that. <laughs> even back then. Oh my God, I, I, I never realised that. So you've yeah. decided to offer a virtual championship. Just yeah. explain your plans. So at 10.30am on the 4th of July, Saturday coming, the public will have an opportunity to view and listen to the bands who have participated in the competition over the years by visiting the South of Ireland Band Championship website on www.soibandchampionships.ie. It is not a competition, and it will not be like a movie, as all the bands participating, it's that it will follow as close as possible the format of previous South of Ireland Band Championships, where the programmes, where the bands will be listed, and instead of turning up, we'd say, in the community hall, where we always had it, they will be able to click on the link, of the band of your choice on your phone or laptop. So, that's a great uh, idea. That really is so, a great. It's it's a that's a, a a lovely lovely idea. And would you have some bands who would have? I mean, I don't know if you have any who came for every single one of the forty years, but people who come back year on year. 
We do. We have bands down through the years who treat this festival as their holiday for their yeah. family and everything they come down. We have bands who have started 40 years ago when I was in the first band myself 40 years ago playing at this. And we have bands that have been there then who still love to come and turn up every year. Isn't that amazing? And of oh, course, yeah. all the band practice, that's all stopped, I'm assuming, has it? It is. On our programme on Saturday morning, you'll have some bands who have individually recorded pieces virtually in their own home to recording individually. And there'll be some piece, pe- pieces represented on Saturday morning by several bands just practising at home and then someone in IT putting the thing together to get a nice kind of, um, what would you say, a composed piece of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no one is practising as a group. Yeah, but people are practising at home and, and during lockdown, it's amazing how virtually musicians and singers have come together. There's been some incredible work uh, done with choirs oh. coming together online and singers coming together and, and now you're saying bands coming together. And bands coming together. As I say, 36 bands um, performing. We have a band from Tacoma, a concert band in Washington, who participated in 2018. They have, they'll be represented on Saturday morning. Brilliant. And again, being the 4th of July, they're doing a very apt piece, we'll say, on the morning. OK, and God knows we need to keep Americans in, in our thoughts with what's happening yes. with the pandemic uh, over there. A huge economic loss to the town, Ger. It is, it is. Um, but again, we're like so many other festivals and things like that. We're just th- that group who have voluntarily organised um, festivals throughout West Cork, we'll say, that have just relied on a uh, big part of their local economy throughout the summer. It is a big loss. Definitely, but mm. as I said, this is going in some small way to keep tradition going in the music um, for Saturday of July for the Benz Festival. Okay. And hopefully everything will be back to normal next year. Yeah, that is the plan. Bigger and bigger and better. Uh, bigger and first, better. first Saturday in July next year. 3rd of July, the clock is It's a 3rd, isn't it? You will have the date. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and people yeah. would, it was, people would have started arriving today. Would they or would they have come in, some would, I suppose overseas ones would might have even come in during the week? They would. Yeah. Or we'd have, traditionally we'd have a few bands that would arrive in, if they were coming overseas, they might treat it as a holiday. Yeah. They would, yeah. like the American bands might have done a tour around Ireland and used Clannacilty as one of their stops. And we'd have bands from up the country as far away as RD and Drogheda who would come on the Friday morning and they would perform around the town on Friday afternoon. Just make a weekend of it. Yeah, make a weekend out of it. Listen, well, it, it'll happen next year and please God the sun will be shining down on uh, Clonakilty for that first weekend in July. In the meantime, Brilliant. remind us again of the website where we can check it all out tomorrow. Well, it'll be it'll be launched at 10.30am okay. by by our usual MC, the great Eileen Kingston. Great. Will be, Eileen will be shown just an introductory speech introducing our new county mayor, uh, Councillor Mary Lynn Foley. And then the bands will be in alphabetical order, the 36 bands, and we'll have a closing speech by our elected mayor in Clannacilty, Padraig O'Reilly, just thanking everyone. So the South of Ireland Band Championship website is www.soi. Bandchampionships.ie. Okay, we know where to log on tomorrow. Listen and enjoy it as well, Adjur, and stay safe. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme. Okay, thanks.
Thank you. Good Patricia. morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Jur O'Driscoll, there, chairman of the South of Ireland Band Championships. Unfortunately, not going ahead in the town tomorrow, but certainly going ahead virtually. Check it out. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. If there's anything you want to share with us, 1850 333 103. Is from Tom just in uh, saying, favour to ask you, please. But before I do, can I just say, Dr. Tony Hulhan, what a legend. Thank you so much, Dr. Tony, for what you did for our country in hard personal times. My question uh, today, Patricia, is uh, can any of your listeners explain why the birds have stopped singing in the morning and there isn't any dawn chorus? Has anybody else noticed that? Because during the start of lockdown and particularly during the fine weather when we all had our windows open when we went to bed at night, we were all talking about, and I certainly was talking about it, it was just gorgeous to wake up in the morning to the dawn uh, chorus. And it was only when I was reading Tom's text, I was starting to think, I don't know if I've heard the birds in the morning or is it because the fine weather is gone and maybe the window isn't open when I'm going to bed? I don't know. I'll I'll have to check that out now over the weekend, uh, Tom. But has anybody, Tom Tom reckons the birds have stopped singing in the morning. Now, maybe have the birds gone away? There's birds around, isn't there? I don't know. We need a bird expert and somebody into the dawn chorus. Can anybody explain or has anybody noticed or is it just where Tom is living that the birds seem to have left him and he's not getting any dawn, dawn choruses at the moment? If you can fill us in on, on the explanation for that, please do. 1850-333-103. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. This is Court Today. Court Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits. C103. Our Tom has been missing the birds because he contacted us just there before 12 saying he's noticed that the birds have stopped singing in the morning, no dawn chorus and he was wondering why and he sent on another text saying we live right next to a forest in the countryside. There are plenty of birds around, we've actually been feeding them but it's the morning singing that has totally stopped. It's nothing to do with traffic by the way he says because we live in a very quiet uh, area. Now huge reaction uh, to this. Uh, Some people are saying that they are still hearing the bird sound uh, Martin in Formoy says, I live in Formoy. The birds are singing every morning around five, half five. Lovely to still listen to it. And Jim says, Patricia, I heard the dawn chorus in Doris at 4am yesterday morning. I won't question what you were doing up at 4am, uh, Jim, but good to hear that you heard the dawn chorus. Alan in Middleton then says, I think I was thinking the very same thing as Tom. I thought it was where I was living as there was less traffic and during lockdown I started to hear things that I'd never noticed before. For example, I could hear the train in the distance. I've never noticed that before. So I thought it was to do with traffic levels because obviously the traffic levels now are back up again as we've reopened the country and I thought maybe that was drowning out the birds but I'm not sure if that's correct or not. But then a whole host of people who do know what they're talking about when it comes to birds have been on. Marian Buttevin says, The dawn chorus only comes out strong in the month of May as that's when the young birds and it's the breeding season Lou and Cantark it's because they're nesting the dawn chorus is when they start calling each other to date each other in April and May but now they're nesting and they've young birds to look after they probably are still singing but they're doing it at different parts of the day Donal says I was always told when the longest day of the year passes that's when the birds stop singing and of course the longest day of the year was the 21st of June but this year I think actually it was earlier wasn't it? it was the day before it was the 20th I never knew that the longest day of the year I always thought it was the 21st of June but the, it, it actually can go to the 20th some years between the 20th the 21st and the 22nd it actually fluctuates it's around the 21st 
but Donald is right the longest day of the year is gone but I'd never heard that before but that's when the birds stop singing Alma in Tower says it's because the chicks have hatched and they are not making any noise for food because that gets added to the noise that's made in the morning the young uh, chicks are looking for food 1850 thank you for that number of people commenting on Natalie remember Natalie who joined us at the start of the programme this morning and the dilemma that she finds herself in. Her father sadly passed away a month ago. They're living in a council house in Yall. Family have been in the house for 40 years. She said that she sent in forms to get her name put on the rent book especially as she knew that her father was so unwell and and that his passing was imminent and she said the councillor claiming they didn't get the forms she didn't follow up on it because you can imagine the last year has been quite tough when her father started to go downhill and became seriously unwell so it was the last thing from her mind and then two weeks after her father passes away she gets a knock on the door somebody coming in to change the locks and now the council have told her that she must vacate the uh, property Um, Uh, Tim uh, says surely there are local councillors and a local TD in the area that should be able to help uh, Natalie. When there is a recession the vulnerable are hit first by officials according to Tim. I recall a person who was a carer being asked to return the free travel pass because the person he would accompany had been in hospital for more than uh, three months says uh, Tim. Yeah and I remember a few times we've had it with the television licence you know when people are entitled to the free television licence and if that person passes away very soon after somebody's passed away there's a letter in looking for you now have to pay for your television licence and sometimes and and I know when we've looked into some of those cases it's usually computer generated it's a computer realises that this person has passed away that person is no longer entitled to whatever it is I always like to think that it's a computer does that rather than a human being who can't have a bit of compassion and you know particularly when somebody is grieving and when somebody has lost um, a loved one thank you for that uh, Tim Colin was on to say people seem to have the idea that council houses can be taken over and taken back by the council any day of the week usually uh, if someone is living in a council house they can appoint a family member to take over the house but they would have to have lived in that house for the last six months prior to the death of the person whose name is on the rent book it will be certified by a local agent a lot of people live in the house rent free it sounds to me like Natalie didn't send the forms to the council which she says she did and she's she's getting uh, getting the evidence to prove she did the family that has the house is expected to go forward to buy the house in very good conditions this lady can't say she's entitled to be a tenant when she hasn't been certified that she was living there six months before the death of her father I think she's using the wrong word when she says revenue stamped her cert the lady needs to go through the law and be uh, certified Actually, that's something I should have suggested to uh, Natalie that maybe she does need to get a lawyer involved and go down uh, the legal route as she's battling with the council on this one. John says, I think all forms sent into the council should be registered because John has his own story to tell. I sent in forms for a rent appeal and the council office claimed they never received them and I ended up having to pay the full amount of rent before they finally did the assessment. Eventually, they did find my original forms, which was good for me. Uh, but they told me they had no record of it and I was paying the full amount. I also was asking, was my wife on the rent form as she had been for some reason taken off? So I had to query query this as her name suddenly had gone missing from the rent book. And when I asked, they were humming and hawing, but 
then I wanted to make sure she was added on because if God forbid something happened to me I wanted to make sure that she would be looked after and she would have a house to live in so people really need to look out and watch for this make sure that their partner or their wife or husband is mentioned on the rent contract with the council otherwise the situation that you spoke about in y'all could easily happen somewhere else and could happen to somebody else. 1850 Lorraine in Watergrass Hill. I was on a bus during the week and everybody was wearing a mask which is great. I then went to the supermarket last night. Nobody was wearing a mask. Now it didn't really bother me as I was in and out and the shop was big enough and you were well able to socially distance um, but, but it got me thinking because I keep hearing people talk about the health experts talking about why we need to be wearing masks in shops. When the government told us it was mandatory to wear masks on public transport, suddenly everybody on the Cork bus started wearing them. Maybe they need to do the same thing with regard to people in shops. Maybe they need to make it mandatory. Would others um, agree with uh, that? Thank you for that. And just stay on buses because somebody was on to say that they were on a bus. Was it a WhatsApp that I got in? Let me take a look here. People, I know I saw somebody was on on a bus. Um, It's gone missing. There's so many different texts and calls uh, coming here and comments coming in. It's just hard to, to find them all. Okay, I can't find them. Okay, let me move on to other topics that people are talking to us about. Patricia Price's Shops are putting up their prices and they're doing it every day. Even the diesel is going up. We robbed the tourists for years. Now we're, we're trying to rob ourselves. The country's policy is to be a millionaire in 12 months. BMW parked outside and a yummy mummy uh, Jeep. That is from uh, John. Also in on holidays. Good day. This is Dave and Caroline. Good day, Patricia. The travel industry and the airlines seem to only have their own pockets in mind. They really don't care about people of this country. For those people thinking of travelling, I ask the question, do you want to risk the health of yourself and your family? all for losing a few euro. That's from Dave. Hi, on hotel prices, they have gone up so much and I'm not talking four or five star. All I want is a bit of comfort and a pool as the weather isn't great. I'm limited with the days that I can take off. And by the way, I have shopped around, says this listener, and I can't find any value out there at all, which really, really saddens me. Oh, here's the one. I knew there was one on the buses. Patricia, people need to cop on. I was on a bus and a lot of people took the mask off the minute the bus pulled out from the station. Oh, for God's sake. The whole idea is that you wear, you put the mask on you when you're in the confined space of the bus or the train and you leave it on for the duration. So that's what that caller has witnessed, people taking the mask uh, off. And remember the listener in Formoy who has two two-seater couches and wants to have them disposed of. We didn't get anybody, by the way, any suggestion of a man with a van or anyone who in the Formoy area, a reputable person in the Formoy area who could dispose of the two two-seater couches. But somebody has made a suggestion and says upholstery classes are generally looking for old couches to reupholster. Could that lady try to see if there's any upholstery classes in the area? That's not a bad idea. And I like the idea of that because you're, it's semi getting recycled, isn't it? So I don't know any upholstery classes in the Fomoy area. We have a listener who has two two-seater couches that she wants to get rid of. And here's a little gem. 
Let's see, if, and I'm calling this out to see if anybody else has had the same problem. And also, we're trying to find a solution for this listener. Hi, uh, Patricia. My sister has a problem with her air coat. All of her post and parcels have been sent to her neighbour's house down the road. Now, we've searched for her home and address online and it looks like the house doesn't exist. Who do we contact about this? Enjoy your show. Continued success to you and your team. Now, I know John Paul is looking into it. Let me see. He hasn't got it yet. OK, John Paul is going to look into it to see if he can uh, find out who do we get on to, to try to sort out this dilemma. But it got me thinking, has any is anybody else has anybody else had problems? Because the air code now is proving fantastic if you want to get anything delivered. I've had more people, be it a takeaway meal are a parcel. I've had more people that I've had to ring if I'm trying to get something, particularly during lockdown. And if you don't even have to give the address, if you just say, what's your air code? And you give it to them and they can pop it into their phones or, or their sat-navs and they land right outside your door. And I know from when the air code first came in and there was a lot of criticism of it at the time and people were saying, sure, I'll never use that air code. Now, not that I know my air code off by heart. I don't, but I have it pinned up on the fridge and I also have it in my mobile phone, which was a tip somebody gave me. I have it in under a phone contact in my mobile phone so I always have it with me because I just can't remember it. It's too long a number. But... um. And when at the beginning when it came out and there was so much criticism, I remember John Paul was one of the first who was widely using the air code for this building. And it was back in the day when we were able to welcome guests to studio before COVID-19. And rather than try to give people directions to where we were, he would just say, take down the air code and put the air code into the maps on your phone or into your sat nav. And we never had we never had a guest go, go missing because over the years we would be frantic people ringing us you know might be 10 minutes away from when they were due on air and they'd be miles away they'd gone somewhere else or they got lost or they passed the building and oh god it was dreadful but the air code sorted all of that so John Paul was certainly one of the first who found great benefit from it and I think during lockdown people have discovered how great and handy the air code is if you're getting anything delivered but I'm interested to see has anybody else or is anybody else having problems like that that the air code that's allocated to your house for whatever reason is wrong and I, I don't know how they got it wrong because all of our air codes are individual numbers and in I mean in this lady's case her air code is being directed to a neighbour's house now obviously her neighbour has her own air code and everything is working for her neighbour so how can two air codes land at the same house so if anybody has a story like that to tell let us know please and uh, we'll see if we can try and get to the bottom of it we'll see if we can get onto air code for her and see if we can get the problem sorted because it must be a pain in the butt both for herself and for the neighbour to be getting having to go up and down the road to pick up pick up the post and, and pick up uh, deliveries. Mary in West Cork says on disposable gloves that you mentioned earlier I wonder uh, if your research team would be able to find out how to dispose of them safely. Some of them are not compostable and some are rubber and some are plastic. Yeah and I know putting them in for landfill seems the obvious one but you hate the idea of putting them in for landfill because how long will they be there for how many thousands of years after we are gone will our plastic gloves still be turning up for future generations who will be talking about the pandemic that we lived uh, in. We'll see if we can find out what is the correct way to dispose of disposable gloves. I mean, my gut instinct says it's straight into the landfill bin for fear that there's any virus contained on it. And I didn't realise this when I mentioned that the 
Sunday masses are not going ahead in Mallow because the parish priest in Mallow Monsignor O'Brien says he doesn't want to be turning away people at the door and because the 50 limit is in place he's decided that um, and he's been having in some masses they've been having up to 50 people attend on the weekday masses not taking the risk of turning people away at the door for Sunday Mass so he's decided to close the the church door there won't be Sunday Mass in uh, Mallow and I'm sure people will turn up thinking that, that there will be but there's nothing we can he'll probably have a notice up on the door but I didn't realise I thought it was only in Mallow somebody was on to say Patricia a lot of churches here in West Cork have decided not to have Mass on Sunday either because of the 50 rule it would be too few and they don't want to find themselves in that situation where they have to uh, turn people away which is really really sad 1850 333 103 lines are open The C103 Cork Diary with Cork County Council supporting businesses supporting communities serving Cork visit corkcoco.ie The Jack and Jill Children's Foundation they're appealing for donations to enable them to continue the fantastic work that they do for families with very very special little ones you could donate 4 euro by texting the words WE CARE to 50300 or you can give more by going on to jackandjill.ie remember that every 16 euro donated provides a family with one hour of home nursing support from the Jack and Jill uh, team and the Cork International Hotel their fundraising raffle is still underway it's in aid of the Rainbow Club the Cork charity that helps families living with autism the lucky winner will have exclusive use of the Cork International Hotel for their family on the weekend of the 10th and 11th of July tickets are 20 euro each and they're limited to 5,000 so please check out the Cork International Hotel's website for further details Cork today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And thank you to Michael who says just a breaking story from Sky News. They've just announced that the number of COVID-19 cases have gone up in 36 local authority areas in uh, England. And there are areas like Hammersmith and Fulham where a lot of Irish people uh, will be living and they're experiencing the biggest increases in the rate per 100,000 uh, England, yeah, they're kind of following the lead of the of the United States and really not getting their numbers down at all. OK, time for us to focus on Fiona's Frontline Diaries. Fiona Corcoran joining me. Uh, good afternoon to Fiona. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, this week you've picked uh, Frontline Diaries and real, I think, real Frontline Heroes. And these were the people that kept us fed and foundered, particularly during lockdown, the people inside in the supermarkets and the shops. That's right, Patricia. As everything else closed down, convenience stores and supermarkets stayed open to provide us, as you said, with the necessaries like food essentials that we needed. And um, I suppose as the country opens up and we've spoken to so many different people who are in the process of opening up over the last couple of weeks. But, you know, people like Willie O'Brien from the spa shop on McCurtain Street in Cork City were open the whole time. They never closed. And it was interesting to speak to Willie O'Brien because he saw the lockdown um, right from the beginning until end and maybe saw things that the rest of us didn't see. Um, You know, he was saying to me that a lot of places had reported uh, an increase in sales. Um, A lot of places that were, say, in suburban areas or in towns around the county. But in the city centre, 
you had um he said like the streets just emptied out people weren't coming in for work um and his shop would have been normally a really really busy shop it's on a very busy street but it just went completely dead and he said that it was a really weird scene he described it like a ghost town but um they kept working and he said that his staff in particular he wanted to pay tribute to them he said that uh you know even though a lot of them had their own health concerns about coming into work they did it and they came in and they had a big meeting one day discussed all of their concerns discussed what kind of safety measures they needed and from that point onwards then they just put the head down and got on with it um and he said that it was when people started coming back in as the restrictions started lifting that their concerns kind of heightened again because there was more people coming into the shop but he was saying patricia that i suppose with the perspex screens around counters we've become so familiar with them now and Interestingly, he was saying that he thinks that they will be there to stay and he's surprised that we didn't have them before because it's a protective barrier for staff that probably should have been in place all along. Um, he also spoke to me about handling of money and he really welcomed the fact that because of the pandemic, we've all been using contactless payments and he hopes that that will continue as well. You know, he was saying that money is really... You know, we we have no idea who has been handling the coins and the notes that passed, you know, over the till every day. So um, he'd like to see that continue as well. And I suppose people who work in a shop are the ones who would see human behaviour at its best and at its worst. And um, I asked him as well in the piece to describe some of the moments that, you know, he would have seen and the way people reacted to the pandemic. Because, I mean, it was such a... Um, you know a, a weird time for everybody going to the shop something that we'd never really think of before but all of a sudden you were wondering should I be doing this should I be doing that so um yeah he said he said some people just came in as if nothing had changed and then other yeah. people were were really you know nervous and really frightened anytime they were coming into to the shop so yeah. he spoke about all that to me and it was yeah. it was interesting to see it from his point of view and they really did keep us all going. I mean, back in the early days when mm. the panic buying was going on and everybody was rushing uh, to the shops. But uh, it's interesting to hear you say about the nervousness. I often look at uh, some shop assistants and you can sense sometimes there is a nervousness about mm. them because they never know who's coming in, in, into the shops. So, so it was good that you brought up that issue as well. OK, here is uh, Fiona's uh, Frontline Diary with William O'Brien of Spar on McCurtain Street. Thank you for that, Fiona. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. It was strange to go out on the street and at times literally see nobody on the street. No cars, no people, no nothing. And it felt like as though you were in a different world, almost in a, in a ghost town kind of thing. And uh, it's, it's lovely now to see the neighbours coming back. You know, you, you actually wouldn't realise how much you'd miss them until they come back. <laughs> the spar shop on McCurtain Street was one of a very small number of businesses on the street that remained open throughout the lockdown. And while some supermarkets and convenience stores reported an increase in business, Willie O'Brien says it was a different story in the city centre. He also noticed very different reactions from people to the pandemic. Some you kind of wonder are we from the same planet because they just seem to kind of breeze around the same as if nothing was happening. And then others were hyper nervous. And you could almost, in a sense, see what was happening in their mind. Because obviously in their mind they had this urgency and this concern about, you know, my God, am I safe here? What can I do? Uh, and, and they'd run around the place. And they couldn't stand still and they were over and back and over and back and that kind of thing. And other people just seemed to be totally oblivious to the whole thing. The whole thing of social distance? Ah, sure, that's for somebody else. <laughs>
I, I know I had an incident one day where uh, I was walking down the street and, and this uh, person, I had done them a favour and they, I, they, I met them and they went about shaking hands with me and I said, just remember we still have social distancing here, but you know, we have to be careful what we do. And they said, all right, yeah, sorry. And then they gave me a pat on my back. <laughs> said, Willie describes the early days of the lockdown as monotonous, but his staff were willing to stay working. But he says staff did become more concerned as the number of customers began to increase. We can't become complacent and we just have to watch at times that there isn't too many coming in. You know, because sometimes it can happen with different groups, they all get a break at the same time. So therefore the tendency is to come to the shop to get whatever. And uh, so you can find a lot of them coming in together. So we just have to be vigilant at times um, of the numbers we let in. But once it's in a controlled environment, you know, they're happy. Perspex screens around the counter is the new norm for shops and Willie thinks they're here to stay. In actual fact, when you think about it, it's, it's amazing they weren't there years ago because, you know, you have different people coming in and, and you know, you, they could have a flu or they could, whatever the case may be, and, and the, you know, the interactions and that kind of stuff. And also, it, it's almost a safety about it as well. He also welcomes the increase in contactless payment. In fact, COVID-19 has probably advanced that whole uh, transaction process. Money is filthy and one of the things I do remember from my experience in my time in retail was the time of the changeover to the euro and I can remember uh, customers coming uh, at the time and they'd want to convert their coins into into euro but I do remember one day getting um, a, a 20 pound note and the smell of euro and I'd all, it always stayed in my mind afterwards that you know, you, you receive notes from people, but you, don't know not, you do not know where those notes ever have been. And Willie thinks that the coronavirus has brought about a change in people's behaviours. One of the things I would notice, because people have more time in their hands, because maybe people were not working or whatever the case may be, they'd pull up and have a chat. Do you know what I mean? Um, I certainly, and I would have heard others say it, that they would have found people a bit more friendly. You know, and, and everyone was kind of relaxed and, and that kind of thing. You see, the, the reality of, of, of COVID-19 is we're all in the same boat. It's not selective who 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 will choose, you know. It's really a case of if you're lucky enough not to get it. Willie's turned me off ever handling a bank note uh, again. Thank you, Fiona, and thank you to Willie O'Brien uh, for that. Somebody says about thirty years ago, I know somebody got scabies from bank notes. They had to fumigate their house awful hard to get rid of. And on the postcode uh, issue, uh, hi uh, Patricia, I'm a postman in North Cork. I have three houses on my route with the same air coat. If it lo- if you look it up, it just leads you to the road. It doesn't lead you to the house. But that's that's not, not, not what the air coat is meant to do. And somebody else says, in relation to the air coat, I've had to stop giving it out, says this texter, as I live on the border of Cork and Limerick. And the couriers have a lot of difficulties finding me as the items will have gone to so many different places first and take extra time to get to me and that's Selina in County Limerick has a County Limerick address but she lives in County Cork love the programme thank you for that uh, Helena anyway we the John Paul has gotten on to air code and they say that you and this is for our original listener who contacted us but also for Helena or anybody else if you're having a problem with your air code because the air code is individual to every house so we shouldn't be having those kind of problems with it you can contact them they have a customer care line which is hello at aircode.com I-E, remembering air code is spelled E-I-R-C-O-D-E. You can also call them on an 0818 number, 0818-300-005. And if you don't want to call at an 0818 number and prefer to call a double number, you can. It is 019012232. But they say contact them and they will sort out the problems that you're having with your air code. 
1850, thanks John Paul for that. 1850-333-103, our lines are open. Just a quick final two texts. Um, just read that the Department of Social Welfare will cancel your COVID-19 payment if you go on a two-week holiday abroad, this is an absolute breach of civil rights, says this texter. As of now, there is no formal government ruling against travel. That is only advice from a health official. Can they actually do that, says a listener. And John in Blackpool was on. He's just after receiving his letter from Age Action. This was the hardship fund that he applied for where Age Action teamed up, remember, with the Red Cross. He said, sadly, unsuccessful with the hardship fund. I have a heart condition. I'm cocooning. I'm 60. I live on my own. My daughter got me the internet and a mobile phone for me to connect with my grandchildren and that's what I was applying to the Hardship Fund for. I have paid my daughter for everything she's done for me. I'm just wondering, did any of your listeners get anything from the Red Cross slash Age Action Hardship Fund? We had a letter, we had a text in during the week from somebody else who got a similar letter and uh, we didn't find anyone who listening to us who received money from the fund but I did as I explained during the week it was a very very limited fund and I think the Red Cross and Age Action had no idea of the level of demand that they were going to have for that fund and it was the reason remember they had to close it off within a few days they had to close off the fund because of the level of applications that they received. So we knew, we knew there was only going to be a tiny proportion were going to receive anything. So don't, again, we'll put it out there, um, John, to see if anybody received money from the Age Action Red Cross Hardship Fund. Let us know, please. Uh, and you don't even, we don't even need to know how much you got from them, but just, just out of interest to see did anybody here in Cork receive any money from that fund. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your call. Comment. 0862-103-103. I'm Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, uh, joins us. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Uh, you're very welcome. Now, you watched a movie that I watched during the week because this got um, dropped on Netflix and I'd been waiting for months since I heard about this. And this is the movie all about the Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Uh, and also, you watched a movie called Underwater. OK, we have a quick trailer from this movie all about the Eurovision Song Contest. Ever since we were children, we've had one dream. Winning the Eurovision Song Contest. All right, everyone. I am Lars. This is Secret. We are Fire Saga. Who wants to hear a Eurovision song? All of Iceland thinks we are a joke. That's not true. And my father is ashamed of me. No, he's not. He looked me into the eyes and said, I am ashamed of you. Maybe he was drunk. He said, and you might think that I'm drunk, but I am dead sober. Idiot. Officially, Fire Saga will be representing Iceland at Eurovision this year. I hate them. Absolutely terrible. They're old, disgusting people. But we have no choice. So we're in. Yeah. 42 countries. Hundreds of performers. And a worldwide audience of 180 million. This is Eurovision. I'm nearly excited even listening to the clip. And that, yes, that is uh, Graeme uh, Norton. Uh, and I'm going to straight out say I absolutely loved it from start to finish. But the, and I am a Eurovision fan. And I just thought it was great. So it was a great laugh. Anyway, um, just synopsize it for people that haven't seen it yet, uh, Mark, the general storyline. 
Uh, well, it's there in the trailer, I think. Um, which, what, what, there's kind of a, um, a kind of a plot sequence whereby they end up representing uh, Iceland to go to Edinburgh to represent Iceland uh, in the Eurovision Song Contest, and it's basically about. And the fact that, you know, his father doesn't particularly respect him very much. Uh, there are lots of running jokes about them being brother and sister all the time, which is a running gag, which is really, really quite funny, because he's Eric's son and she's Eric's daughter. And uh, so then they go to represent uh, Iceland in the uh, Eurovision Song Contest. And basically it's about their time uh, in Edinburgh uh, at the, the, uh, the, the contest. Um, I'm glad to be able to say... I thought it was terrific. Hey, I well done. Love it. Well done. I just thought it was just great fun altogether. There are huge plot holes in it, though. Um, you know, if you go on the BBC website, it'll actually give you a list of mistakes. But most of the most of the mistakes are stupid. They don't really mean anything to me. But there was one huge plot hole. I don't know if you noticed it or not. Uh, well, you know, there's a reference at one stage to um, the UK getting zero points yeah. because nobody likes them. But yet, of course, if it was held in Edinburgh, then England had, had, had one. Had to have one. Yeah, but the yeah. Two, but the two presenters on the night were from Eastern Europe. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so which was a huge mistake and I don't think it was deliberate and I don't know how that they managed to do that but they did for some strange reason. Let's talk about what I didn't particularly like about it though, first of all. I mean, there were a couple of things. I didn't really like the kind of sexual nature of a lot of the gags and I wish that instead of it being kind of 12, it would have been kind of PG. Um, you know, you know, like for example, you know, the the, the scene with the, the statues and the attendances. Uh, I think yeah, they, they didn't need that. Yeah, they didn't yeah, need it. Yeah, I think it. what was great was like a, a PG rated movie because, of course, Netflix don't need box office returns. Uh, you know, this could have been a movie that you know grandparents and grandkids could have watched together. But there are a couple of sexual kind of things in it that I didn't particularly like very much. I also think it's incredibly long. I think it's about twenty minutes too long, and I think they could have certainly taken that out. Apart from that, I loved everything else about it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was sweet. It's on the right side of respectable. Yes, it's making fun of the Eurovision Song Contest, but I think some of the recreation of, say, some of the um, some of the, the the performances in Eurovision with the, the fire um, and the music, I think it was a bunch of Swedes who wrote the music. They got all that exactly right and utterly brilliant. And it's on the right side of uh, respectable, I think, to the song contest. I presume you found that as well. I did, yeah. And the wind machine and the hair and the dancers, and it was just, I just, it just made me laugh from from start uh, to finish. And it was interesting. I heard an interview with um, uh, uh, Will Farrell, who made the movie, um, and he was he had been in. I think he's married to a Swedish girl, and he'd been in Sweden. He'd never heard of the obviously being American, never heard of the Eurovision Song Contest. Was in Sweden one weekend. What are we doing? We're all sitting down to watch the Eurovision Song Contest and he said he sat down and for three hours his jaw was just dropped. He'd never seen anything like it and he could not believe that no one had ever made a movie about it. I think you're right, I suppose, yeah. Um, it is surprising, yeah. His wife, as you said, is Swedish, so obviously knew about ABBA and knew about kind of the background of the Eurovision Song Contest, especially in kind of Scandinavian countries, which kind of surprised me then why then they didn't film it um, as Swedes instead of being Icelandic kind of people, which uh, and the accents are very good. Apart from maybe Pierce Brosnan, Pierce Brosnan is more kind of Swedish than Icelandic, I think. But he and is Pierce very, very Brosnan funny. is the dad. Have he's to the say. dad, and he's very funny. Yeah, and uh, he's the most handsome man in Iceland. Yeah, and uh, he's had relationships with a number of people, which is why you have that running joke between Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams, whereby you know are they or are they not kind of brother and and sister. Yeah. I also thought there was a terrific performance too from Dan Stevens as Alexander Lemtov, the Russian. Yeah. There's, there's a there's a shot where Dan Stevens is walking across a room, and you know he 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 worked on that walk. You know what I mean? Even the walk was funny. And there's an awful lot to, to enjoy about this, even the music. I mean, you know, mm. it's a beautiful sequence. You'll know the sequence. About an, it's about an hour in where all of the Eurovision ent- entries all get together to go to a party. And they decide to have this kind of sing-off. 
and they do this kind of medley of songs. And there are past winners, you probably noticed, there yeah, are past winners of the loads of them. Song yeah. And I was just absolutely elated by the sequence. I just thought it was beautifully done. I thought it was beautifully filmed. I thought the songs were great. I thought the singing was great. And it's just completely joyous. And that's what I loved about it. And the amazing thing, I mean, my first thought was that this has to be made by a European who knew and understood the Eurovision. But actually, it's made by David Dobkin, who actually has made some of the, some of the worst films of the last 15 years. Films like King Arthur and Fred Claus and R.I.P.D. So he obviously watched and did a lot of research and maybe through Will Ferrell and his wife managed to uh, come, uh, you know, become aware of how it should look and how it should feel. I thought that particular sequence was particularly yeah, wonderful. Yeah. And I enjoy that very much indeed. Yeah. I laughed quite a lot. They, na- they nailed it. And, and anyone who go who goes to Eurovision, and there are people, the diehard Eurovision fans that go every single year, they all talk about those parties that run every single night of the week for the Eurovision. There's all of these and different countries host different parties. I'm dying to ask Johnny O'Mani, our Eurovision correspondent, do they have sing-offs? I'm just dying to find out because in my mind I want to believe that they do have sing-offs. I really do because yeah. I love. I th- it was one of the best scenes in the movie. It was lovely. It was absolutely lovely. Rachel McAdams is terrific. She did most of her own singing, I think, apart from maybe some of the higher notes. And she's absolutely funny and terrific in the film as well. I just, you know, I, I did. I have to admit, I enjoyed it very, very much indeed. Yes, even with the plot holes, I don't care about them. That's, you know, I think some of the, um, I especially loved, you know, when, the, 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 the countries around Europe are giving their uh, totals mm. and they always seem to have these men who all seem to talk like this rock and roll Europe you know <laughs> and the, so the casting of these guys were, was absolutely brilliant everything about it was kind of spot on and uh, yeah I loved it I thought yeah. it was great and listen it's a wet weekend uh, and people are looking for something to do uh, I would say sit down and you'll, you'll pass two hours uh, away it's, it's, it is fantastic okay mark it out of ten um, the plot host did uh, kind of will reduce I don't the, worry the, about the, that by a couple I'll give it 8 8 out of 10 ok alright I'll give it a resounding 10 out of 10 because I love <laughs> it ok Underwater this is an action horror sci-fi yeah I was meant to do this last week so it's been a few weeks since I've seen it and I'm trying to remember uh, about it and um, so basically it's, 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 it's do you remember the film The Abyss it's like, it's like The Abyss meets Alien is basically what it is um, so there's very little of kind of original uh, kind of storyline that we're talking about here. And basically it's about this kind of deep sea, uh, deep sea drilling company. They're about a mile under uh, ground. And that, the thing about modern films is that they just don't really seem to care about character anymore. So basically the first shots and the first scenes we see are Kristen Stewart. And she's brushing her teeth. She's um, underwater by a mile, mile underwater. And the facility starts getting attacked uh, straight away. So we know nothing about her. We know nothing about anybody. We know nothing about uh, the rest of the crew who we basically meet along the way as they try and kind of survive being attacked by this underwater creature. And I think that's a terrible shame and that's a terrible pity. I mean, if you if you look at something like Alien, for example, which is a horror movie, you get to know Yafikato, you get to know all the characters in the film and you get to care about them. So when they do die, and if they do die, uh, you, you are quite upset. But here, you don't know anybody. You don't know who they are. You don't know what their background uh, you know that Christian Stewart is going to be the heroine in the film because that's quite obvious from the very first shot. And I think that's a terrible thing and it's a terrible shame. It's a bit like, I've had this conversation with somebody recently. It's a bit like modern records. Modern records have no intro. It's almost like, okay, let's get straight into the lyrics. Yeah. And it's, it's a bit like that here. They go straight into the action. And some of the action sequences are actually pretty good. Some of them are not particularly 
uh, well filmed, I think. Um, and it's difficult. It was difficult to see what they were saying, also because they're masked up a lot of the time. It's actually difficult to hear what they were saying as well. And so I found it quite frustrating at times. Some of the action sequences are well done and pretty good, but in the main, I. To be honest, I wasn't particularly entertained by it. I wasn't bored by it. It's just one of those movies that kind of just kind of rushes over you. You go, yeah, seen this, seen it all before. We've done this before. And um, yeah, it was a bit meh. Yeah, you almost wanted to end. Come on, get on with it. I want to get over it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, mark it out of 10. Uh, five. Ooh, five. Okay, that's five out of ten. And cinemas are slowly starting to reopen, uh, Mark, but it's uh, you've got a book online and there'll be social distancing and all of that. It's funny you should say that because, uh, yeah, my local cinema did email me today to tell me what uh, they were doing and how you go about it. And, uh, and that's it. We have to pre-book and uh, you, you know, I think under 12s have got to be accompanied by an adult and so on. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I'm ready to go back into the cinemas yet myself, but uh, I suppose I'll have to. And can you, you can obviously sit with a family member, but you can't, you won't be sitting beside a random stranger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you will at least have uh, kind of a number of seats around you. So yeah. um, there'll be nobody kicking the seat behind you. That's the one. Some ants and a lot of people like that idea for sure. OK. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, listen, we'll chat again next week, Mark. Thank you for that. OK. And have a, have a lovely week. Somebody said, what's the Eurovision uh, one movie called? Eurovision Song Contest. That's <laughs> what so it's called. The Song of Fire Saga. And it is on uh, Netflix. This in from Australia. Brian in Sydney has contacted us via email to say, while parts of Melbourne are gone into lockdown, you may be aware of this, but they've had spikes in cases in COVID-19 and they've locked down parts of Melbourne. Uh, He said here in Sydney we're back to the problem of having no toilet roll in some stores. People are starting to panic buy toilet rolls again and that whole thing of panic buying toilet rolls started in Australia. We watched the Australians do it and then it just spread across Europe and America and everybody else started doing it while the Aussies are back um, panic buying uh, toilet rolls. We were talking about the bird songs and people not hearing the bird song in the morning. John said I was in outfits concentration camp uh, many years ago. We were told the bird it's never sing there anymore. Yeah, I've, I've heard that uh, before. It's uh, incredible. OK, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to Sadie and to John Paul for taking your calls today and for their work throughout the week. We are back with you on Monday morning at 10 o'clock. On to then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a safe weekend. Nick Richards is up next. Look after yourself. Talk Monday. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.